Well, if you would, turn to the book of Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians, if you would. And uh, we've been just starting this study, so if you've just joined us, you've not missed too much. And the notes are available online, the recordings will be available online uh, in due time. Uh, just a reminder as well, uh, in October, we are bringing, uh, doing our annual, uh, know what's, what, what we call it, I'm telling you, I'm not functioning here, know what's below, come ready to dig series. Uh, we have uh, been blessed to have some keynote speakers that uh, are world renowned and, and uh, Bob Chisholm is, is no exception. Uh, uh, this is free, it is not a fundraiser and it's designed not just for men but for women as well. So. Uh, it's a cheap date. Uh, bring your wife if you're married. If not, uh, just bring yourself or bring a friend. Um, but uh, yes, we're hoping yes to record it. Sometimes the speakers ask that we don't. So if they'll, I think Bob probably won't care that we record it. And uh, but uh, I'm looking forward. He is an unbelievable speaker, prolific author, and he he said, well, "You mind if I address the fear of the Lord?" I said, "Mind? That'd be fantastic." <laughs> I'd love to hear you speak on that topic, and this is one of his areas of expertise. So he'll be doing the fear of the Lord. Uh, his wife will be with him. But mark your calendars, but you must register to go. So uh, make sure you do that. There's only a few slots left. We only have about 20 slots left, and, and then we're done. So Because uh, we can only fit so many in this room. So mark your calendars, a free dessert night and speaker. And again, it's free, so you can't beat it. Well, we're walking through the book of Philippians. Let me just kind of give you again an overview. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony in what is now modern Greece. You could see the map here. Uh, it was uh, a very prestigious town. And when Paul mentions here in chapter 1, which you're going to see, he says the, you know, the whole Praetorian Guard has heard about why I'm in chains. I have no doubt there's connections here with even these soldiers. Uh, Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey. He will revisit it in the third, and I believe he's writing this letter during his first imprisonment in Rome, and we talked about that. Why is he writing? Uh, to encourage the church, to rejoice in their progress, to explain the situation about Epaphroditus. We'll talk about who he is later, and to thank the church. In other words, it's a great missionary letter. Uh, there's deep affection for the church at Philippi. Uh, this letter reads vastly different than Galatians or First and Second Corinthians, doesn't it? And, and there's reasons for that, and we'll even highlight that. But last two weeks, we've looked at the introduction. We've looked at the opening and the blessing or prayer that's at the very beginning of the letter. And now we move into the content. So look at verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Paul begins... He, he starts off with a very typical structure in Hellenistic letters of the first century. He says, I want you to know, that, that is very common uh, in letters of this time frame, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. What's his situation? He's imprisoned, right? He's not baking uh, baklava in the back room. Uh, he is in prison. Right? The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I'm in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever, dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, 
but others with goodwill. The latter do so from love, because they know I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. I think this is one of the richest texts, this and the next one that we're going to look at next week, uh, from all of Paul's writings. I titled it, A Key to Contentment, which I don't know about you, (laughs) Uh, that is a difficult thing, isn't it? Contentment. Uh, And I will refer to a little book a couple times as we go through Philippians by Thomas Watson called The Art of Divine Contentment. Uh, Watson was a Puritan uh, minister. Uh, And that book is worth its weight in gold. Uh, If you struggle with discontentment, you need to pick this sucker up and read it. Uh, Thomas Watson, The Art of Divine Contentment. And and that oozes out of Paul's words here, is is one of contentment. That set the scene as we look at this. This section begins with rejoicing over the advancement of the gospel. Notice he says, brothers and sisters. So, Keep that in mind, because when we get to those that are preaching uh, out of envy and strife, they are still part of this larger group called brothers and sisters. These aren't false teachers, all right? And that's going to be a hard thing for us to grasp here in a minute, but we'll, we'll get there. He says, brothers and sisters, this affectionate tone. And, he, and the Net Bible doesn't render the Greek here as I might like. It says it's actually turned out, or someone might have in your English version, rather, this idea that some, something has changed from what the, those at Philippi thought. And I mentioned this there in your notes, that contrary to rumors that Paul's mission is failing, I mean, after all, the great leader is in prison, uh, he's been, he'll be in prison for almost five years during his first imprisonment. Remember, he was first taken from Jerusalem to Caesarea. He'll spend two years there, and he'll spend two years in Rome. And on the way, he has a shipwreck, but who's counting, right? Uh, it's a bummer of a deal. The gospel is waning, could be the idea here, and the church is in trouble. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 no. If, if anything, because of my imprisonment, the gospel has, go, has gone forward. And this idea advance, you can see what that term could mean elsewhere. The question I have there in the, the notes, there's a whole place where we can write, why would the church at Philippi believe that Paul's imprisonment meant trouble for the gospel? I kind of already mentioned a little bit here, but why, why would they think this? Let's just make a list. Why would they be concerned? I mean, don't they know the gospel? Don't they know this persecution is part of it and suffering? Why would they be concerned? Because there definitely are. He says, hey, don't go, don't go down that road. In fact, it's just the opposite. Okay, there's an idea that uh, imprisonment equals failure. At least the perception is that, Yes. What else? Yeah, Bob. When the leader falls, uh, movements tend to fall apart. <laughs> that is a great point. Remember that who, who's their uh, papa in the faith, right? Who's led most, probably many of them to the Lord? Paul, right? He was there at Philippi. And so the leader falls, we're in trouble. 
There's also, I think, with the leader falling, a bit of insecurity. What are we going to do without Paul? I mean, why do you think they sent Epaphroditus, one of their key leaders? They're very, very concerned, right? Yeah. A great deal of courage and, uh, and faith evaporates face of personal stress and danger. Say that again, Dick. Give me the... the, the Okay. Makes you want to second guess. We are right in what we're holding to, correct? Remember, this is a group of many of them are Roman citizens, allegiance to Rome. And if Rome is seeing this as a problem, should we see it as a problem? Yeah, good. What else? Yes, Scott. Yeah, and, and that's, where, well, that's what Paul's trying to say to them is, listen, we, he's careful here. Um, this is actually coming out to our advantage. Uh, I also wrote down here, resources spent caring for Paul and not being given to the ministry. You know, we're having to, to sideline all this stuff to take care of you, Paul, when it should be about the ministry. Interesting, I, I highlighted O'Brien's words in his commentary at the bottom of the page, and he's spot on. Commentators have been quick to point out that although the apostle devotes the first main section of the letter to giving news of his own circumstances, he offers no abundance of details. I mean, he doesn't go into great detail about his imprisonment or, or, or all that he's gone through, right? Paul doesn't really talk much about a shipwreck. Or, or having to appear before Felix and Festus over at Caesarea. And the idea that he's going to have to meet with Nero. That is not his concern. His concern is about them. That's why he's writing this letter. right? And so you, you see that. And, and that's going to come out here in the, the epistle. Questions on that first verse? Because it sets the scene. He lays out, listen, the gospel's going forward. And now he gives us... I've got three reasons in the notes. Really, it's two, but let's, let's flesh these out. The first of these, as you see there on page two, is there is a full awareness of why Paul is imprisoned. There is no question. <laughs> Paul has made it very clear why he is where he is. You know, full awareness is very important, isn't it? Situational awareness. Uh, I thought you'd love this. Uh, situation awareness is very important, right? Isn't this great? Uh, here's another one. I, I love this. I don't know if you can see that. It's a bridge and these porta pots, this guy's going under, they're going to hit, and this guy's in a convertible right behind him. I, I, I think I'd move out of the way. Anyway, I hope no one's been taking antibiotics to choose those porta pots, but anyway, we won't go there. Uh, here's another one. This is great. Situational awareness. And, and this is my favorite. This is, this is the best one. This guy's standing there. They're all nuclear. Yeah, that's just great. You'll get that later, but that one's good. <laughs> full awareness. And Paul says, this is great. The gospel is being full, fully aware. And notice he, he identifies two groups of people. The first is the imperial guard. Who are they? That's the 9,000 soldiers 
This is the elite squad that gives direct allegiance to the emperor. Um, in fact, let me show you this. This coin was minted by Claudius, the emperor, before Nero. And, it, and uh, on the back side, that's the imperial guards fortress and the imperial soldiers because they were responsible for making Claudius emperor. So he mints a coin thanking them. Uh, you know, that's my allegiance is to the imperial guard. It could be a location because the praetorium is the term here. It could refer to the location or the soldiers. And I think the context is what we're dealing with is the soldiers. Is they're all aware, this elite troop, I've had the opportunity to do this. The second group, notice in the text, he says, and everyone else knows. Who's everyone else? Right? It's what my kids say. Well, everyone else is doing it. Who's everyone else? Right? Who's everyone else that's heard? Who's Paul referring to? Leaders. Who? Which leaders? What what does Acts tell us? I referred to it briefly. Acts is in prison first at Caesarea. Who hears him there? The Roman governors, Felix and Festus, right? Those aren't cats. Felix and Festus. Who else hears him? The king of the Jews, Herod Agrippa II. Right? Remember that? And their entourage? They all get to hear the gospel. Who else? I'm sure servants. Right? The, the, uh, the sailors on that ship. And the list goes on of individuals who have heard it. And so, in other words, Paul said, hey, this is great. That because I'm imprisoned, all of these people are hearing this. And he says it's for the sake of Christ. Uh, this little clause is very powerful. I think he's saying more than just simply, I'm imprisoned for Christ. It, it's also this idea that I'm identifying with Christ. And this idea is brought out by other commentators uh, Thielman, in his commentary on Philippians, says the imprisonment is not simply a result of his Christian commitment, which is truly there, right? But it's the necessary means through which Paul fulfills his calling. It's not only for Christ, but it's in Christ as well. Isn't that great? Paul says, they all know who I'm, what I'm standing for, but also I have the privilege of identifying with Christ in his sufferings. Does that sound familiar? He brings this out in 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians. Look at this. This is so powerful. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have treasure in clay jars. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 7. 2 Corinthians is the most autobiographical letter of Paul. If it hadn't been for 2 Corinthians, I I would have thought Paul was always a man of steel. Type A, never waned. But 2 Corinthians, you see a side of a guy who also hurts. He also struggles. And he said, but we have treasures in clay vessels so that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Always carrying around, verse 10, the body, the death of Jesus. For we, verse 11, are alive, are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also may be visible in our mortal bodies. Paul says to the church at Philippi, I am grateful in one sense that I'm imprisoned because as a result, everyone gets to see Christ being magnified through my predicament. That's an, I don't know if I could have said that. 
In fact, look, go back to Philippians. Did you see how he wraps up this section in verse 18? And in this, I rejoice. In fact, he says it again in case you missed it in 18b, the latter part of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. That's an amazing statement. So what predicament are you in, right? <laughs> what are you facing right now? Can you like Paul says, hey, this is great. Because of what I'm going through, Christ can be magnified. And for that, I rejoice. Right? Paul says the reason for acknowledging the advancement of the gospel is, number one, there is a full awareness that Christ is, is in this. Right? There, there's no question. He gives us a second reason here in verse 14 uh, as we look at this. And he says, there's great courage being established among the believers. Verse 14 says, And most of the believers, not all, but most of the brothers and sisters have confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment. <laughs> if Paul can do this, so can I, is the idea, right? Uh, you were correct. I think it was Bob who said, when all rises on the leader. And that idea is being brought forth here first and foremost he says, and ha having confidence, Lord, because of my presence, now more than ever dare to speak. What's the implication, by the way, or the assumption? They all are what? They're already doing what? There's already witnessing. There's already some boldness. But this just fans the flame. He says, this is fantastic. And the idea here to speak the word, I think, elsewhere in the New Testament, we're dealing with the, not just the gospel message, but the entire Christian message that's being delivered. And so he says, I, 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 this idea that I'm imprisoned, no, 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 don't go down this road, he says to the church. Be thankful. Because number one, everyone's becoming aware of what's happening here. It's about Christ. Secondly, there's boldness on the part of the believers to speak, which would not have been there had I not been imprisoned. Now, think about this. This guy has already been imprisoned for at least two years when he writes this. He's been shipwrecked. Right? All of this. And there is a potential, though it appears in Philippians he's not thinking that, uh, but there is a potential of him being executed. <laughs> and he says, hey, this is great. Um, he's not a masochist. He's one who's got his focus on Christ. And that's how he can be content even the worst of times, right? Well, he also makes another statement, and I put this as a third point, but really it fits under the second point, this boldness to speak. Um, he says in verse 15 that some are preaching, so there's this idea that preaching Christ, but they're doing it out of envy and rivalry. So yes, we got a group who's doing it out of love and sincerity, which he highlights in verse 16. They know why Paul's in prison. They, they understand that. You've got another group who, who however, are seeing this as a real disappointment. Uh, and I mentioned this there in your notes, the, the idea of jealousy and rivalry. This is listed among evil vices, right? But they are not false teachers. Why would we say that? What's the text tell us? These aren't like the teachers of Galatia that Paul addresses in his epistle to the churches there. They're not like the, the Judaizers. Uh, they're not like the heretics that he addresses in 2 Timothy. Why, why do we know these are believers? 
they're preaching the gospel, right? Their motives aren't right. And by the way, this is a side note. Paul does identify their motives. So he, he is assessing it, which is interesting, right? Because you often people don't, don't attack the motive. Well, Paul is. He says their motives aren't right. In fact, he says they're seeking in, in this process, they're seeking to, to, to create trouble for me, right? They are believers, but they are arrogant. They're doing it out of envy. Notice the text says, because they have, verse 17, because they think they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. How exactly do they think they're causing trouble for him? What's going on here? Yes. Right. To squelch Jesus being a king, any uh, any continued uh, uh, building of, of Christianity, they're going to go after the leader. So the more that they build it up, it keeps saying, but it's Paul. It's Paul keeps everything else that it creates problems. Yeah, and the, 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 the difficulty here is these are individuals who embrace Christianity. So why would you give trouble to, the, to one of your great leaders? Uh, let me give you two reasons, and then, Micah, if you, you have another you want to... Scholars propose a couple. One is they felt Paul should embrace martyrdom. This idea that he's, he's trying to appeal to the Caesar and, and to, to get out of this, they're going, no, 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 no. If you're a follower of Jesus, you go straight, to, you know, take up your cross and die, right? No pain, no gain is the idea. And so this is the, the, those that are preaching the gospel. It's also a way one up on Paul, right? Let's get rid of him. Now I'll be the next big leader in the church. There's that, that idea. Uh, the second is some have argued, no, no, no. They, they felt that Paul's imprisonment was an embarrassment to Christianity and that he's showing weakness by even having placed himself in such a setting and he should have never gotten there. And so this idea is never let him see a sweat right? And so th these are the two ideas that are possibly being conveyed. Micah, did you have another idea on this? <clears throat> yeah, uh, I'll tell you, the green-eyed monster uh, is not exempt from ministry. <laughs> uh, yes, and it's actually at times, one of the ugliest things in the church. And it, it always floors me. We talked about this last week. There's, we're not in competition in ministry. That's what I love about the parachurch ministry and the churches that are represented here. We're all in this for the cause of Christ. And, and that's what Paul's saying here. Now, keep in mind, elsewhere, Paul does address wrong motives of ministry. All right, he's not excusing their actions. Keep that in mind. That's not the context here. Elsewhere, he will address those who have wrong motives. And, and I give you some notes there. But we got a group of people, uh, and one commentator states, they stumble at Paul's captivity and weakness, not recognizing that Christ's saving activity is manifested in his imprisonment, and so through the gospel. And so out of animosity, out of jealousy, etc., 
they're preaching the gospel and whatever their it's their intent is is to make things worse for Paul. And Paul says, "Who cares?" Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, "Okay, here's a list of names. You need to target them, you know, uh, send them a nasty gram on Twitter, uh, make sure you do whatever you can to take care of them." He said, "No. Who cares? Cuz Christ is being preached." I don't I don't hear that often. I don't know about you in our circles today, which is, is alarming. Um, yeah, uh, I'll, be, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, Dick. Okay, we got to be careful. Uh, uh, doctrinal issues, Paul is, is clear to attack the heretics, those who are preaching a different message, right? Yes, Galatians and Second Corinthians. What we're dealing with here is uh, doctrinally they are sound, but in in practice they are not. So orthodoxy, yes. Orthopraxy, no. And that's where he's trying to address. Uh, uh, Let's put it this way: in creed they were trinitarians. Indeed, they were trinitarians without the spirit. Yeah, without the spirit, there is an idea. Um, but the message is, is spot on, which Paul clearly states, but how they're going about it is wrong. But again, in this context, Paul isn't, is a big deal. What's glorious is Christ is being preached. And I don't know about you, again, I, I, I just remember where Paul is at when he's writing these words. And then he concludes, which is so powerful here. He says, it's all about the gospel right? In verse 18, what's the result? Only in whatever means is being done, Christ is being proclaimed, and this I rejoice. <laughs> Paul recognized that God's works not merely in spirit, in spite of, but through adverse circumstances, uh, God is going to be glorified, and in that he takes great delight. Well, Hafidits, thank you. That's a great history, biblical lesson, but how does that apply here? Let me give you three things to walk away with this morning. First of all, I, I wrote there in the intersect, since our sins far outweigh any present suffering, our Savior from our sins deserves our praise even in the midst of adversity, doesn't he? I mean, we soon forget how awful our sin is and what Christ has done. And Paul can say, hey, it's not about me. It's about Christ. And he's going to highlight that later on in chapter 1. And we're going to look at that next week. And it's such a rich text. But Ezra 9, you can look at that later. Here's a second. Contentment in Christ consoles the soul and confines unbelief and impatience. Watson, in his little book, writes, and it's at the bottom of the page, Discontentment does not ease our burden, but makes the cross heavier. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? He says, listen, contentment in Christ, that makes me glad. Psalm 73, turn there to this great psalm. Just look at this. Psalm 73. If I say this, Tom Flynn is going to laugh, but it is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, psalm 73, 1. <clears throat> Certainly God is good to Israel and to those whose motives are pure. 
And, and our, our psalmist is struggling. And yet he can say later in verse 25, Whom do I have in heaven but you? I desire no one but you on earth. My flesh and my heart may grow weak, but God always protects my heart and gives me stability. Isn't that a great statement from the psalmist? And so I don't know, I look around the room and some of you are uh, in some deep waters. Look to the cross, right? Contentment in Christ consoles the soul and it confines unbelief and impatience. Paul had a lot to complain about. He had a lot of people he could discuss <laughs> by name, but he doesn't. I can't help but some of thinking that some of those guys that are preaching that's making life difficult for Paul, I suspect he led him to the Lord. Or at least indirectly. And he said, you know what? We're all in this together. You know? Um, that's an amazing statement. Well, contentment, let me give you one more to walk away with today. Contentment is forged on the anvil of humility. And that's Paul, isn't it? A humble man seeks God's glory, not his own. There's a quote on the page one of your notes that is worth its weight in gold. This is why I love Watson. He says, the discontented person thinks everything he does for God is too much. <laughs> and everything God does for him is too little. Ouch, right? Watson's spot on. Paul exemplifies what humility is all about. I mean, here's a man who founded the church at Philippi. Undoubtedly, and led many to the Lord in Rome has not wavered in sharing his faith even in the midst of great difficulty, prisoned in Caesarea, shipwrecked, and imprisoned in Rome. He's not wavered. He has a lot to be upset about. But he says, I rejoice. Right? Turn to 2 Timothy, Paul's last epistle that's recorded in the canon. 2 Timothy 2. He's handing the baton to Timothy, who's at Ephesus. He's kind of given the mothership of the churches uh, to oversee. Titus will take Crete. But he says to Timothy in verse 8 of chapter 2, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead is a descendant of David, such is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. This is Paul's second imprisonment. And by the way, he doesn't walk away from this one, most likely. <clears throat> but God's message is not imprisoned. So I endure all things for the sake of those chosen by God, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. Right? Shingles isn't much. There's far worse things in life. But as I was preparing for this lesson and struggling with a, uh, a sledgehammer to the back of my head, um, I was like, you know, it's right. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Watson writes, close with this in page four, a proud man is never content. 
He is one who has a high opinion of himself. Therefore, under small blessings, he is disdainful. Under small crosses, he is impatient. The humble spirit is the contented spirit. If his cross is light, he reckons it in the inventory of his mercies. If it's heavy, yet he takes it upon his knees, knowing that when his state is worse, it is to make him better. Where you lay humility for the foundation, contentment will be the superstructure. And that's, Paul models this so well for us here in chapter one of Philippians. He said, yeah, my imprisonment stinks. And you might go here and think, oh, this is awful. He says, no, 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 no. What's glorious is Christ is being exalted and the gospel is going forward, right? Father, with the prayer for our own lives, that the, we would do nothing to hinder your glorious message. And Lord, it's so easy to get distracted and, and uh, not to spiritualize, but I think of, of Peter walking across the water and he sees the huge storms around him, the waves, and he, he gets distracted. And, and in one sense, that happens with things, of, at least for me in my own life, and I think others could echo to be distracted of the cares of this world, to look across the way and see someone who's successful, so to speak, in ministry and, and to, to, to grow jealous. Lord, help us not to lose sight. It's about you and you alone. John the Baptist said it, and we need to be reminded, he, Christ, must increase. We must decrease. Lord, help us to exalt you. Help us to find contentment in knowing that you have lavished your grace on us and you would be so gracious to use us for your, your glory astounds us. And that's where Paul is. And that's why he can say, I rejoice. May that be the words that we can echo on our lips today. In Jesus' name, amen.